Well, it is a good morning, despite the weather, and you're all looking great here today. Merry Christmas. My name is Jason Bentley, and I serve as the lead pastor, and I want to say that I'm thrilled that you're with us today. And as a church, last week we started a series, it's our focus this Christmas season, and that's simply to be together a part of a Christmas conspiracy. And I hope that you were able to get that going in your lives and in the lives of your family this past week. And we're continuing that here today. So go with me to Matthew chapter number two, a, a more familiar passage to look at the Christmas story, Matthew chapter number two. And it says this in verse number one, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. Now, if we just take that at face value, it might not mean very much, but as we get into a little more about the details here in just a little bit, that one statement is a mouthful. That one statement is absolutely jam-packed, full of insight and full of revelation. And there is a very sharp contrast that we see that is intentionally spelled out here just in this very first verse. Jesus, King Jesus, he was born in Bethlehem during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose. We've come to worship him. And after this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house, saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and they worshipped him. They opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. And after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. And when Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel, because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. And so Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. When you think about Christmas and when you think about the very first Christmas and when you think about the Christmas story, the real Christmas story, uh, this is what you think about. It's Matthew chapter number two, it's Luke chapter number two, and we all know that the Christmas story is absolutely full of love and hope and redemption and it's all about relationship. So my question as we think about what Christmas is all around us right now in this very moment. So what exactly happened? 
How did a story full of love, hope, redemption, and relationship turn into stuff, stress, and debt? Somehow, some way, somewhere, we traded the best story in the entire world for the story of what's on sale right now. But we as a church family, Waterview Church, we made the decision last week that we are choosing something different. That this year we are choosing a revolutionary Christmas and we're going to have a revolutionary Christmas, one that's more like it was intended to be simply by engaging in a conspiracy. Today, whether you realize it or not, you are a conspiracy theorist. You are now a part of an incredible conspiracy. You see, we learned last week when we looked at John chapter number one that a Christmas conspiracy started in the beginning. And when we're, when we're referencing the beginning, we're talking about the beginning of the beginning. And you can go and listen to that message on the Waterview podcast. But there was a conspiracy in the beginning of the beginning. And then, as you read here the first couple chapters of Matthew, you learn that there were conspiracies that were playing out during the very first Christmas as well. The original Christmas story, there's a conspiracy. There is the arrival of less in the empire of more. There is the arrival of humility in the age of ego. And we know this because of that very first verse. Matthew writes about two kings. King Jesus, the king of glory, the king of all kings, and the Lord of all lords, he shows up into the world, but is below the radar. Yes, we know that there were some angels that produced quite an amazing light show in the sky to announce his birth, but the only audience were just some shepherds. And the shepherds, they've been out in those fields for a long time, and they live pretty isolated. They don't really have a lot of friends. So not really very many people saw it. And then, of course, there were a couple of wise men that came. But here we have the king of glory arriving in a spot in the road in the middle of nowhere. He's born in a manger. He is the epitome of humility. He is the epitome of understated. He is the epitome of less. In sharp contrast, we have King Herod. He is known as Herod the Great. He is also, as you research that figure historically, he could be known as Herod the Insecure. Herod the Tyrant. Herod the one who is willing, because of his insecurity, to murder members of his own family. He would also be known as Herod the one who loves stuff. Because Herod was always trying to amass more possessions and more power. I suppose it fueled his, his 
frail ego and his insecurities, but it was all about more, 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 and more. And here we see some conspiracies playing out. The arrival of less in an empire of more. The arrival of humility in the age of ego. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. And I also kind of was reminded this week that if we listen to what is probably one of our favorite Christmas songs, you learn that Christmas conspiracies apparently aren't an original concept to the modern day either. Sleigh bells ring, are you listening? In the lane, snow is glistening. A beautiful sight, we're happy tonight. Walking in a winter wonderland. Later on, we'll conspire as we dream by the fire. To face unafraid the plans that we've made. Walking in a winter wonderland. Hey, we've been conspiring around Christmas fires for some time now. We're talking today about Christmas conspiracies. And before you freak out and think, oh my God, I'm in church with a bunch of people that have bomb shelters and canned goods and all of those things, just hold up. Let me explain. Conspiracy, as we're using it, conspiracy simply means a group of people who conspire together to go against a cultural norm. That's what we're talking about here today. Nothing weird. We're talking today about us as a church family, as a group of people conspiring together to go against a cultural norm. We want to go against what has become the American norm for Christmas. Why is that? Well, what is the American Christmas norm? It's tradition, it's entertainment, it's busyness, it's consumerism, it's stuff, it's running, it's shopping till we drop, it's parties, it's all of those things, and the end result is stress and not joy. The end result is debt, not peace. The end result is our eyes on ourselves and what mattered most to us rather than our eyes on Jesus, the reason for the season, and what he wants. And so as we're thinking about this Christmas conspiracy, I think as a church and each of us, we've got to ask ourselves the question, does the way that we spend our time, or maybe you can frame it up in a personal way, does the way I spend my time, my money, and my energy during Christmas reflect my belief that Jesus is the light of the world? Is, is what we're doing, is it a reflection that we believe that God entered into the world to bring hope, healing, salvation, and purpose and freedom to every single one of us? If not, let's change that. That's what I'm proposing this month with this series. Let's change that. Let's conspire, like the song says, let's conspire to recapture the meaning of Christmas. Let's conspire to capture again the heart of the season. Let's conspire together, each and every one of us, to have all of that peace, all of that love, all of that joy, all of that freedom, all of that purpose that Jesus came to give us. So how are we going to do that? Well, 
we're going to go against the cultural norm. So last week, we talked about what that looks like. We are going to be all about this season, spiritual growth instead of tradition. We're going to be all about family instead of busyness. And today, we're going to be all about generosity instead of consumerism. Well, what exactly is consumerism? I I mean, I think we're all kind of familiar with the big idea. We know what it is, but I would say that maybe some of us think, well, you know, I'm not real consumeristic, but as a culture, as a nation, we are incredibly consumeristic. Let's just look at some numbers. 85% of Americans participate in Black Friday and Cyber Monday. The average person during Black Friday, they plan to spend around $400. Baby boomers typically spend around $626 on Black Friday. Gen X typically spend around $460 on Black Friday. And then millennials come in spending about $252. And it kind of makes sense. The baby boomers have the grandkids And so they're buying the stuff for the millennials' kids. And so they're going to spend a whole lot more. And that's why I just wish that there was a baby boomer in my life to help buy my kids' things. It would help me out a whole lot. But the point is, we spend a whole lot of money on Black Friday. In 2019, Americans spent a record. Check this out. In 2019, Americans spent a record $69 billion, with a B, $69 billion on Black Friday alone. They say, based on the metrics, that during the Christmas season, and I'm assuming that we're talking from Black Friday until the end of December, during the Christmas season, Americans will spend $1 trillion, with a T, trillion on holiday shopping. You can look around and you can see, particularly when they're putting out Christmas stuff at Home Depot and at Hobby Lobby and at Walmart, like around Labor Day, that Christmas has become very commercialized. It's so commercialized. And guys, if we're honest, can we just admit it's excessive? I love Christmas. It's my favorite time of the year. I am not Ebenezer Scrooge, nor am I the Grinch. This is my favorite time of the year. Eggnog, lights, Mariah Carey Christmas album. Come on, somebody. I love this season. But it's excessive. The American way that we celebrate this season is so excessive. Do you realize... In America, the amount of money that we spend on Christmas is 45 times the amount of money it would take to supply the entire world with clean water. Do you realize that in one year, Americans could end the majority of the health problems and other problems that are present in our global community where there is a shortage of clean water? We could end that 
in one year if we shifted away from it being commercialized and all about us and if we chose generosity instead. In one year, we spend 45 times the amount of money it would take to supply the global community with clean water. And let me say this, living like this, and I'm not saying that you're guilty of it, but I know that I've been guilty of it. I think we're all guilty on some level of this commercialism and being sucked into all of the the run on stuff. I mean, maybe you've not gotten into a fist fight at 3 a.m. at Walmart on a Black Friday. And if you have, this is a safe place. We don't judge people here. We're glad that you're here. And we're not saying that it's like that. But I think if we're honest, we'd say like, ooh, there's been times where I'm just really all about gifts and things and and less about the other. And, and, And with that, knowing the mistakes that I've made and just knowing human nature, just knowing people that are a part of the American church family, Herod the Great from the first Christmas, then Jesus. Because this commercialization, this run on stuff, this desire for more, we've got visions of grandeur. I mean, let's, let's look at Herod the Great in this original Christmas. He had visions of grandeur. He was obsessed with prestige and accomplishment. We, we like Herod, we hoard possessions. Some of us, maybe not knowingly, maybe by accident or maybe on purpose, but some of us, even like Herod, we take advantage of of others, and certainly I would say that all of us, we in our subconscious and even in our daily activities, we are trying to rule over an empire of more. And maybe we don't have the means to have all the more that we want, but just because you don't have the means doesn't mean that you lack the desire. And if you won the lottery or got the promotion or if things worked out, you most likely would be first in line trying to get the list of things that you've said you've always wanted. And because of that, often at Christmas, we we look like King Herod rather than King Jesus. We're trying to rule over an empire of more We want to build more, spend more, gain more. We believe that more is better. Less is not more. More is more. But today, in our Christmas conspiracy that we're engaging in together, we are choosing generosity over consumerism, and we are choosing Jesus over Herod. Because that's what's really functionally happening. We're choosing more no matter what the cost. So today know this, we can be generous instead of consumeristic. And if you're taking notes, write this down. We can be generous instead of consumeristic when we spend less, when we spend less. And I get it. You're like, oof, this message might've been might have been helpful two weeks ago. We're already at December the 10th. We've already spent a lot. But maybe there's still 
a chance to help somebody these next couple of weeks. We can choose generosity over consumerism simply by spending less. You know what? I know that's countercultural, but I also know it's very freeing. What do you think is closer to the heart of Jesus at Christmas? Piling more on top of more or spending less so that we can give to those who are oppressed and actually need more. It kind of goes against our, our kind of inherent leaning because what, what, what does possessions do for us? Possessions, they, they promise satisfaction. Like We've been fed this through marketing and advertising and just through the American dream and way of life. We've been fed for generations that the more you have, the more satisfied you are. The nicer house, the nicer car, the bigger boat, the better vacation, more satisfaction. The latest, we believe it. We believe it heart and soul that the latest, greatest gift is going to give us, if I could just get this, if I could just get that, it's going to give us this sense of deep abiding joy. And so we shop till we drop. We're on the hunt for that. We're looking for that. And what do we end up with? No peace, emotional exhaustion. We go into debt. We wind up spiritually and financially depleted. Most wonderful time of the year. We're talking about Christmas, the celebration of Jesus. And debt and consumerism peak during the very season that we celebrate the Savior who came to liberate us from those things, who came to give us freedom from those things. This is what Jesus said in Luke 12, 15, and I love, I love how it's captured in a couple different translations, and I want to share them both with you. Jesus says in 12.15 of Luke in the Passion Translation, speaking to the people, Jesus continued, Be alert and guard your heart from greed and from always wishing for what you don't have. For your life can never be measured by the amount of things that you possess. That sure sounds weird. That sure sounds like nothing that we're hearing. And then look at how the message captures it. Luke 12, 15. Speaking to the people, he went on, take care. Protect yourself against the least bit of greed because life is not defined by what you have even when you have a lot. So it turns out that our spending habits and the way that we manage our money, it's actually a deeply spiritual issue. And the reason that we're on this conspiracy and about this conspiracy of greed over consumer or generosity over consumerism is because consumerism can actually poison your relationship with Jesus Christ. We, we heard it out of the mouth of Jesus himself. But how do we know? How do I know today on this rainy Sunday, how do I know if I'm in danger of that? How, how can you know if you're in danger uh, of making this very costly mistake, of poisoning your relationship with the source of life because of too much consumerism? 
Well, the way that we know that is very simply, we seek God for what he can give us rather than what we can give him. We read it in Matthew chapter number two. The wise men in the very original Christmas, why did they seek out Jesus? They sought out Jesus, who it was reported to them was the king. An old prophecy said the king is coming. So they sought out Jesus to give him something, not to get something from him. Remember the story, when they arrive, they ask for nothing, but they give gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We also see that they actually put their lives on the line to do this. They were wanting to worship someone. They were wanting to worship something. And guess what? They did not worship King Herod, the king of Moore. They actually sought out, even as long as two and a half years, they sought out King Jesus and they worshiped King Jesus. They worshiped the king of humility and the king of less. So if we're choosing generosity over consumerism, and the way that we do that is through spending less, I I thought I might today help you out with some very practical things. The way that you can spend less is simply set a limit. Set a limit on the amount of gifts that you're going to give. Set a limit on the amount of stuff that you're going to buy. Set a limit. Because I have seen with my own kids, I've fallen into the trap of thinking if I give them everything on their list, if I give them more, 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 they're going to be more thankful for me and their mother. They're going to be more filled with joy. They're going to be more overwhelmed with gratitude that they're a part of our family. But you know what happens on Christmas Day as papers flying and boxes are being grabbed? Often with every gift they open, the previous one means less and less. And I've noticed that it's actually about the more that's received, the less grateful they are. So set a limit. And again, this is, of course, up to you. I'm, I'm called to be your pastor and to share things with you that I think would be beneficial to you spiritually. And as a family, you'll need to talk and pray through all of it. But set a limit maybe this year as you're trying to engage in the Christmas conspiracy. And maybe, maybe I thought that the wise men might be a good example, like a good kind of model to follow. They they gave three gifts. Three gifts were given to Jesus. And maybe this year, if it's too late this year, next year, you decide, you know what, I want to be a part of this Christmas conspiracy. I see, Pastor, what you're saying, so we're going to just do three gifts. And maybe the three gifts are going to be a little bit different than usual. Maybe three gifts are going to look like something that you want. Like, okay, kids, okay, family, this is what we're going to do. We're not going to go crazy this year. 
and, and we're going to do three gifts. And one gift is going to be something that you want. And one gift is going to be something that you need. Maybe that's socks and underwear, all of our favorite Christmas gifts. Or maybe it's something else that's more practical, but it's something we want, something we need, and then maybe some kind of an experience together. Maybe we're going to go on a little overnight trip or go do something. We're going to make a memory together. But what, what if at Christmas we've set a limit and this is what we're going to do rather than try to get sucked into keeping up with the Joneses and the rest of America with more, more, and more. The second way that we can spend less is to simply make a budget. Make a budget. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, no, he didn't. Pastor just dropped the B word on us at Christmas. But you know, a budget, it's not a dirty word. It's not a, it's not a bad word. With a budget, you can tell your money where you want it to go instead of wondering where it went. And that's what we're going to try to do is just, is just set up a budget. Because here's why. Every step you max out at the mall is one step further away from the manger. You, you should make a budget because in January you're going to feel such blessed relief. Do you know that one out of every three Americans are still paying debt from last Christmas? One out of every three. What a budget means is that you're not going to run up your credit card in the name of Jesus' birth. We're going to set a limit. We're going we're to put a cap. We're going to put a budget to it. And the peace that you're going to feel in January, the peace that you're going to feel the rest of the year, it's going to be worth it. And then the second way, and, and, and soon I'm going to be closing, the second way that we can choose generosity over consumerism is we can be generous instead of consumeristic when we spend less and when we give more. When we spend less and we give more. A lot of times we think that in order for us to be able to give more that we have to be a person of means. But do you know that you don't have to be rich to be generous. You just have to be generous to be generous. And why do you think that if you choose King Jesus over King Herod, if you're spending less, that means there's going to be more. Is the more meant for us? Is the more meant to add an extra layer of security? Is the more meant to make us feel in a stronger position or maybe is the more that we've got left over by spending less, is it meant maybe to, to help somebody that's in need? Winston Churchill said this, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Being like Jesus, being like Jesus, choosing King Jesus instead of King Herod, is thinking very simply like this. King Herod, all he thought about was himself. So much so it made him a very 
insecure person. And he was only and always thinking about himself. And so that's why he wanted more stuff, more power. It was all about him. Being like Jesus is thinking, what more could we do for those in need? What are we going to do for others? That's fundamentally what it looks like to be like Jesus because the Bible says that Jesus came into the world not to be served. He came in the world to serve and to give, to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, here's the thing. If we spend less, we're going to have extra. And do you know that today, right now, in this hopeless world, that there, in the global community, there, there, are, there are families and there are children that are absolutely without hope this season and throughout the rest of the year. Every single day is dedicated to pure survival, like finding enough food to eat, surviving by staying out of gangs and drugs, surviving by staying out of sexual abuse and sex trafficking, surviving by just keeping a roof over the family's head. It's a hopeless world, and there are desperate people, our neighbors, our brothers, our sisters in the global community that are hurting, that that need hope, that need opportunity, that need us to be in this Christmas conspiracy of choosing generosity over consumerism. And if we spend less, we're going to have extra. And guess what? This is my final point. Your extra can be someone else's everything. Your extra can be someone else's everything.